Dynasty Bulls podcast. Nick Hales is a rescue partner, and Joshua Johnson is here to make you laugh, challenge your mind, and help you build a foundation. This is the Dynasty Bulls. Dynasty Pulse Podcast. I am your host, Joshua Johnson. With me, as always, is Nick Hale to the Redskins. Nick, what's up, buddy? Oh, not much, Josh. I got myself a big win in our 16-team league. I won by five points uh, behind the big arm of, of course, Blake Bortles with uh, 300 yards and four touchdowns. Uh, Bortles is playing out of his mind in replace of my injured Ben Roethlisberger, so i got to be happy about that. How are you doing? Oh, well, I'm 0-4. 0-5, excuse me, 0-5 in that league. Um, I don't get the benefit of a buy, unfortunately. So I don't know. I'm scoring lots of points and just not getting any wins. So uh, coincidentally, I am five and zero oh in another league, and I have no idea why. It's a uh, it's a two QB league, and my quarterbacks are Andy Dalton and Jay Cutler, which uh, people certainly gave me crap about at the beginning of the year. But Red Rifle's playing out of his mind. So what, what can I say? Um, uh, but that's just how it goes sometimes. I had a pretty pretty decent week. Um, had the uh, un- the fortune of watching uh, Eli throw that t- game-winning touchdown pass to Larry Donnell, and thankfully it was not Odell Beckham Jr. because that touchdown pass meant I won my game in, in another league. So that was uh, that was good there. And uh, ODB certainly didn't slow down at all that night, but uh, Eli outperformed him just enough for me to. Uh, get the win. I didn't think it was going to happen there, but uh, we have an incredible show for you today. We have the IDP doctor himself, Sean Kirby, stopping by. Uh, we're going to put him to the test. You know he's going to answer the call. It's just going to be going to be a whole lot of great IDP knowledge. If you, if you need some help there, we, we are here for you. Um, any Anything else? Oh, sorry. Let's... Um, other things we have planned today, we're going to do a little in-season plant your flag or wash your hands with Sean. Uh, talk about some IDP surprises, um, maybe just a couple of other IDP strategies. Um, we have a Dynasty Depth Charger as well. The Knicks got that today, um, and I have a clip for that. Don't let me forget that. We're going to also like kind of redo the, uh, say, the rookie drafts were today. We're going to kind of list our top 12 rookies right now as far as Dynasty goes and how they're moving along. Uh, pretty good Dynasty Dilemma, sticking with the rookie theme there as we pit Mariota versus Winston. Uh, just a couple sitting starts this week because we have a lot of other things going on. Trade Dynasty trade analysis. Um, and then, of course, the odd man himself, Chuck Podice, is to stop by, so we'll get to some ATS picks. Next week we have another DFW IDP veteran, uh, Jay Liston, stopping by, so uh, you're going to want to check that out as well. Sean will be joining us here in about 12 minutes. But, uh, Nick, any thoughts on the Week 5 action? Well, Week 5 provides a great example of why I love the best ball format. I mean, how many people in standard uh, setups 
started Josh McCown against Baltimore. 457 yards, two passing touchdowns, one rushing touchdown. That's three straight 300-yard games McCown's put up. Uh, and then you get a couple of other guys, Devontae Freeman and Doug Martin. You guys have got kind of written off a little bit. They're proving their doubters wrong. Uh, Freeman, 153 yards. Martin, 123 rushing yards and three total touchdowns. Um, also, Josh, you wrote uh, last week about how Fletcher Cox would have a big impact. Three sacks, two forced fumbles, one fumble recovery, and uh, defensive player of the week. Nice call there. Um, and then one other thought, just Andy Dalton. He's got to be in the MVP conversation at this point, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, most definitely. And if you like that Fletcher Cox call, I told you to start him over Vic Beasley. Just remember, Vic Beasley gets uh, gets the Saints tomorrow night. Uh, uh, so that should be a, a decent matchup there for the rookie who's got – a quite quite nasty first step there. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, I had some good calls there in that cinema stardom. Uh, didn't have some very good calls the week before, but I think I made it for this week. So uh, that week, um, I want to roll the clock back to uh, something that happened. Um, actually, not last week, but it happened in week four. But I didn't hear about it, the fine until after the podcast last week. Apparently, Stedman Bailey was fined for using the pillow football as a pillow during the touchdown celebration. Did you hear about this, Nick? He just walked out of the back of the end zone and then fell down and <laughs> acted like he was sleeping on the football. Why does that get a flag and what or get a fine and other things do not? I mean, I guess it pays to dance I, I, or it's going to save you money if you if you if you don't dance or if you do dance. So, but yeah. I don't know. I just thought that was really really lame move by the NFL to suspend him for that thing. But um, um, And I also want to talk about something that I saw happen in college football. Uh, I'm not sure if you saw the video. Nick, I think I did send it to you. Uh, Baylor uh, has a tight end. His name is Laquan McGowan. Uh, he just happens to weigh 410 pounds. Now, he caught a touchdown pass versus Kansas this weekend and uh, made a little bit of a move, kind of juked a player out. I don't know if that we really juked a player out. I think that player maybe went in for the tackle, and then it was just like, if I tackle this guy, uh, he's going to fall on top of me. Um, but uh, anyway, he scored a touchdown, and he, he had some he had some nice moves. He's got some soft hands. Nick, what, what do you think? Can a 410-pound tight end make it in the, next, in the next level in the NFL? What do you think? You know what? I just don't think so. Uh, here's a cautionary tale, really. Uh, you remember about 10, 15 years ago, Aaron Gibson, the massive 380-pound offensive lineman out of Wisconsin. I was super excited when he was coming out. I thought he was really going to have an impact in the NFL. and he, he played for a few seasons. It wasn't like he was one season and out, but he wasn't really the player everybody thought he was going to be. So that's kind of a cautionary tale when I look at guys that are a lot bigger than everybody else at their position. you got to kind of wonder a little bit. I just I want to see somebody actually take this guy down. I mean, it's like if, like I said, if you tackle him, he may kill you. I just I mean, no and no offense to him. I mean, and if you actually see the guy, especially like with his teammates, he does not look like he weighs that much. He's actually pretty good shape. He doesn't even he doesn't you you know you expect an enormous you know party ball like Danny Shelton. I mean, he's he's got, obviously got a, a gut on him, but it's not like. It's not, you know, like falling all over the place. The jersey actually has it contained. And uh, I, the dude's an athlete. Maybe, you know, maybe if he's in the next level, he's not going to be a tight end. But 
I, I'm just impressed. I know, and I know they don't use them a whole lot, but I think I'm impressed at what I, what I've seen in some of the moves you make. So if you get a chance, you got to watch that video. Tell me if you think he actually made a move or that guy just uh, took a took a dive, made it look good. So um, we're gonna get to something here now that we like to do each and every week. A little something that we like to call uh, Nick Rants. It's where I give my co-host the floor to kind of rant about something that's bothering him. Um, sometimes it's controversial. Most of the times it's football related. Um, and sometimes I like to call it shots fired. Um, I don't know if he's going to yell, call out any, any famous athletes this week, but I'm sure he's got a possibly a coach or two that he's got some Nick, what do you got for So one of college football's most colorful personalities, Steve Spurrier, walked away from the South Carolina program this week in a move most are calling retiring, but really, unless there's health issues or something else we don't know about, and of course, hopefully that is not the case. Uh, but unless there is something like that going on, to me this seems like he's quitting. Uh, we just aren't very good this year. This isn't as fun. So even though these kids, along with their families, made a huge life choice to come to South Carolina for the chance to play under my tutelage, kids I recruited, recruited and convinced I could help them achieve whatever their personal goals may be, these kids aren't as important as the fact that this season is, like, really hard. So I'm just going to quote Eric Hartman and say, screw you guys, I'm going home. You know, it's bad enough to me when coaches in the off season leave their schools for bigger paydays at other universities or in the pros. But, you know, it is a business. Most of us would leave our jobs for a huge pay increase. But to just up and leave midseason seems almost cowardly to me, and it somewhat tarnishes a pretty darn good coaching resume. Let's just throw out his two years in the NFL. Yes, they were kind of a joke, although he did beat the, the uh, Bill Belichick coach Patriots in one game, proving once again the old adage any given Sunday. But, uh, you know, many good college coaches fail in the NFL, and everybody fails in Washington. So let's just take that off the table. Other than that, he won an NCAA championship at Florida. But to me, what's even more impressive is that he was able to consistently field quality teams at Duke and South Carolina, far far less prestigious schools football-wise than Florida. You know, love him or hate him, you can't deny he was a quality football coach. It's just a shame that he couldn't have toughed the season out and retired afterwards like a professional. I'm pretty sure he's asked kids to play through more serious injuries than the bruised ego currently ailing him. What do you think, Josh? It's you know it's a weird call because I feel like obviously I don't know how long it's going to take for them to get a new head coach in there, but you'd rather have it happen than him to quit at the end of the season or a coach to get fired at the end of the season because they still have you know they they have you know recruits that they need to talk to or whatnot. And it it just doesn't make sense. I mean, I and I, like I said, I hope it's not some health issue or something you know un, unprecedented, controversial, or something that's going to be in the news here. You know, I I I don't know what the reason is behind it. it and it, it does seem weird, and I feel like there needs to be some some kind of cause put out there. But um, you know, he's kind of a weird cat too. So I guess I'm not surprised. Really? I mean, I, I feel like I would be dis- obviously disappointed if I was a fan or an athlete at that school, but I'm not surprised because it does seem something, something. I mean, he's kind of, a, like I said, just kind of a wild card. So uh, they, uh, uh, I think uh, Twitter and a few different radio shows kind of blew up with some great uh, Spurrier quotes over the uh, over the years and how he uh, put things down. He was the one that coined the, the Florida State, the FSU Free Shoes University, um, and then another another really good one that he said is that apparently there is a um, a fire 
at the Auburn School Library, <laughs> and um, did you hear about that? <laughs> and it destroyed oh, yeah, something like 20, 20 books, and uh, Spurrier said something like, well, the damn shame is only five of those colored in so far, or something like that, to that effect. So, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Bar, the other one, the other really good one is he'd like to play. He'd like to play Georgia earlier in the year because cause their good players were still suspended by that time. <laughs> so, uh, so he certainly had a uh, certainly had a quick wit, and he will that colorfulness will certainly be uh, missed in the SEC, and he certainly was a legend. Um, so uh, yeah, we'll, the, we'll, he will certainly be missed, and I and I hope it's not for some for some odd odd reason that we we're going to find out about later. So. Um, any other thoughts, Nick, about the uh, about the uh, the weekend that that was? We got a couple minutes here before the the right doctor shows shows up here. Um, what did you what did you think of uh, Peyton Manning not throwing a touch touchdown pass again? Uh, he's just not the same player whatsoever. Um, you got to wonder if they weren't five and zero, would they be booking to Brock Osweiler at this point? They are some lucky blankety blanks, that's for sure. I <laughs> um and and it's like I said last week, I mean this is how is how is this team not the Ravens and Trent Dilfer right now? I mean they didn't score I mean not only did he not throw a touchdown pass, their offense did score a touchdown. I mean those, those running backs are terrible days. I think one of them had twenty one yards, the other one had nineteen or something like that. You know, Chris Harris is the player of that game because he had a because he had a pick six, um, so I'm glad it was a competitive game and they didn't uh, blow the doors off o- the Raiders in Oakland. But uh, yeah, it was not a not a good situation there. You think uh, Detroit gets off the snide this week, Nick, and beats uh, division rivals, the only the only team without a win yet so far? What do you think? Uh, I don't know. They play the Bears, right? Yeah. And it seems like Jay Cutler has somehow found a way to become a clutch quarterback, throwing game-winning touchdowns in the fourth quarter and leading his team from behind to win. I, I, I can't believe I'm using the words Cutler and clutch in the same sentence, but it's, it's happening. Uh, and more amazingly, he's doing it without Elshon Jeffrey, which, you know, a few would have told me that Elshon and uh, both Kevin White were going to you know, be out for, you know, this much so far this season, you would not not have high hopes for the Bears at all. I mean, obviously they still have Forte and Martellus Bennett, but uh, yeah, they're uh, that's a huge win for them going to Kansas City. I still can't believe uh, they were nine and a half point dogs going into that game, and I don't know if I've ever overreacted as much as I did last week when when Chuck told us that line. It was kind of like really loud. What? I mean, I think my voice even cracked. Nine and a half points. It's, that's. I understand the the home field advantage there at Arrowhead. It's in this amazing place to be at. If you've never been there for an NFL game, you have to be there. I had the fortune of being there on a Monday night, and it was the place is electric, and I and I I totally respect them, and that, those are some of the best fans out there and uh they, they're knowledgeable and they know the game and it, it, it's uh but yeah but that's a, that's a big win that's a, a huge win by chicago but we have the doctor on the phone let's patch him that is uh, DFW's, there, guys. Yeah, dfw's idp doctor sean kirby sorry 
I like to call oh, you the doctor. Right. Is that okay? Yeah. That's that's perfectly your, fine. It, it's an honor. Um, am I coming? Am I coming through yeah. okay? Yes. Yeah. I can I can hear you just fine, Nick. Are you okay there? Oh yeah. All right. All right. Well, uh, like I said, Sean is uh, in charge of the IDP content here at DFW, so he's kind of he does a lot behind the scenes, and he's uh, always divvying up articles. And he we we teamed up together on the Sit and Stardom last week, and I, we had some pretty good calls there, Sean. That was I uh, I think I felt extremely lucky. But uh, what what are your, some of your thoughts so far this this year in the IDP season? Any any big surprises for you IDP wise so far? Um, yeah, it's definitely been an interesting season, and you know, I, I was, <laughs> I felt like I was maybe um, trying to find the studs with that Stardom Sitem article uh, that I thought would do pretty poorly. Um, the one that I missed on was Levante David. He wound up having a pretty good week, um, and then Aaron Donald I, I recommended as a sit, and I was pretty nervous about it because he's he's been pretty consistent and a pretty good producer there. Um, but you know, I got it right, so uh, I was I was pretty happy with the week overall. Um, this year, I mean, it's been it's been interesting. There have been quite a few surprises. Um, one of the first things I found that maybe wasn't a huge surprise, but maybe the first pretty consistent finding that I think is probably going to hold true for at least uh, the majority of the season here is that I've been doing this article once a week on home stat crews. Um, if you if you're relatively new to IDP, one concept that I didn't really grasp in my first season playing was that tackles are a pretty subjective stat, and they're recorded by whoever's watching the game at each home stadium. Um, And so some home stadiums will miraculously come up with extra tackles where other stadiums, other stat crews won't see quite as many. And so it's kind of a nuanced thing that takes a little while to kind of wrap your head around. Um, The Buffalo Bills have been notorious for having higher tackle volumes than a lot of the other uh, crews around the league. But so far this year, I mean, the New York Giants, home stat crew is just um, blowing the pants off all the other home stat crews in terms of the amount of IDP IDP points that they're awarding um, based on tackles and assists. So anytime you've got an IDP going to um, play the Giants at home, you should definitely try to get that guy in your lineup. They're awarding, let me see, uh, the latest is 124% of the um, rest of the stadiums on average. So uh, that's one of the... One of the really striking things, I mean, everyone else is like, even the other, like the second most is 112%, and that's the Steelers. So, I mean, it's just a phenomenal advantage if your guy is playing in the giant stadium right now. Um, so, yeah, I mean. And does that does that go both ways? I mean, are the Giants getting points there too? Yeah, the Giants are benefiting. Um, and, you know, yeah. you kind of have to wonder. I mean, you should definitely be trying to play your Giants. That was why I had uh, Landon Collins as a, a start last week. Um, he had been producing at a similar clip to Ron Parker, but because they were playing at the Giants' home stadium, I recommended him over Ron Parker, who had a really unfavorable matchup. Um, and it worked out in, in the case last week where Landon Collins just uh, really uh, excelled way beyond uh, what Ron Parker did. And, I, and maybe it wasn't entirely due to the home stack crew, but... Um, you know, it's it's a trend, and it's just like anything else in fantasy football. We try to to grab onto these little pieces of information that we think are true until they, they prove not to be. Um, I got a handful of other surprises um, that I've I've been uh, somewhat shocked by this year. Um, 
Carlos Dunlap is the sack leader in the NFL so far, and I think everybody was high on him, especially among our crew. Uh, but to see him, I kind of think of him as more of a tackle guy, and the fact that he's leading the uh, defensive linemen in sacks right now is, is pretty impressive. Um, and then the other defensive linemen, we've seen a bunch of guys kind of uh, pop up, have good weeks, and then kind of trend back down, like your Allen Bailey's from Kansas City. He got a couple sacks in the first week, but that seems like maybe it was a flash in the pan. Uh, one guy that's emerged and seems like maybe he's around for a while is uh, Stefan Tuitt in uh, Pittsburgh. He's one of those 3-4 defensive ends. And it's pretty hard to find a defensive lineman who's playing 90% of the snaps. And the fact that he's doing it as a second-year player and developing um, a pretty good relationship, a pretty good chemistry in Todd Bowles' uh, defense there is a pretty good sign. I think he's going to be around. I think we'll have some good weeks and some bad weeks as he alternates with uh, the other playmakers there, like Cameron Hayward and uh, Bud Dupree. But I think he's going to be a producer for a while. And if he can get you a sack even every other week, um, then that's a pretty good thing at that position. And I was actually going to ask you, uh, Josh, uh, since you're an Oakland guy, uh, Malcolm Smith, to me, uh, he was a linebacker that I was a little slow to pick up on. I think even now I have him underrated in the uh, consensus ranks. I think not many of us would have guessed that he was the linebacker that we'd be looking for out of Oakland. I mean, C.O. Moore was the early offseason favorite. Um, and then Curtis Lofton, after he went there, we all thought Curtis Lofton was going to be the guy, but it looks like it's, it's Malcolm Smith. I mean, what's going on over there? Uh, well, obviously coming over from the Seattle, you know, with, with Norton Jr., he, he knows the system and he knows what he can do. And I'm, I would imagine that Norton's got given him a lot of flexibility as far as what, what he can do. And he knows that he could maybe play a couple different positions there too. Um, you know, and I, and I think Lofton is certainly, you know, he's still, still an inside backer, but it's, it's, you know, it's a different scheme, and maybe maybe the Saints home crew is warding him a lot of extra tackles, because he had something like 145 tackles last year, which is ridiculous. Um, and I, it's just not called, it's just not, um, it's just not important, I think, for, for him to be a tackle volume guy. I think we all saw that happening, uh, and uh, it's it just it's just not happening, and I, I think he'll still have some, some good weeks, but it seems weird that he doesn't have a a consistent week to week line. I, I I can't explain exactly why that's happening, but uh, you know when <laughs> but when Malcolm Seal Moore was think... shipped, yeah. When Seal Moore was shipped, I I I kind of thought about picking up Malcolm Smith in a league or two, and and I and I just was like, oh, I'll I'll, I'll think on it for a week, and I, it was it was too late after too late after that. So uh, yeah, it's. And now, now I hear that uh, Nerian Ball is going to see some extra extra work after the bye week too. So I I like the fact that Norton's getting a lot of guys in and out of there, and maybe that's why Lofton's losing losing some some points too. I'm not sure what his snap count percentage is at the year, but yeah, it's not it's not happening for me. And since we're talking about my Raiders, what can we stop giving Khalil Mack all the credit in the world when he has like two tackles per game? <laughs> Oh, I mean, I people think were key... taking this guy like in the eighth and ninth round in startups, and I'm just like, he's still young. I mean, he's everybody's calling him the next Lawrence Taylor. I'm just like, settle down, people. <laughs> I think he got some love from uh, some some high traffic uh, IDP venues as the next uh, Justin Houston. Um, but you know, he he's a good guy. I mean, if, if he's at defensive end, if he's a defensive lineman in your league, then I still like him. I mean, he's still 
as a second-year player, getting the amount of pressure that he's getting is pretty good. Um, he's not necessarily the stud that I'm going to break the bank for, um, but I'm very happy to have him on my on my roster and probably starting at defensive line. I think his sacks will go up on average, um, and his tackles will probably never be there. If I have to start him as a linebacker, I am not happy about that at all. No. Um, yeah. Um, Sean, one guy you didn't mention, and uh, I I shouldn't say who wrote, who wrote the article about the AFC West IDP guys because it was me. Um, <laughs> but where I didn't even mention Jay Howard for Kansas City. Where on earth did he come from? And is he going to slow down at all? I mean, the guy is just an animal. Well, he and Alan Bailey, I think both are benefiting from just probably, I mean, it's hard to call anything the premier rush defense next to Denver. But if there's a, a next group that's been really successful, it's probably Kansas City and uh, Green Bay. They just look really disruptive up front. Um, Justin Houston, you know, if he doesn't finish a play, there's a chance that one of these guys is going to get the sack, which I think is what Alan Bailey benefited from. And Alan Bailey, mm-hmm. he played, um, he was playing like 80 to 90% of the snaps those first couple weeks. I think that might have come down. And then Jay Howard, he's more cleaning up on the run defense and the tackles. So I think he'll continue to be one of the uh, higher floor guys like Brandon Williams and uh, Baltimore is kind of a similar guy. I think overall um, he'll stay towards the top of the pack in terms of end of the year fantasy points. I don't think he'll give you those big uh, sack weeks. I don't even know. I think maybe he has one sack so far. Um, maybe not even that. I think most of his production so far is tackles. Um, so I think that he'll keep going. I think he'll keep racking up the tackles slow but steady. So if that's the kind of player you want, you want something reliable, you want to know you're going to get four points out of that guy um, or four tackles, whatever that's worth in your league, then he's a great guy to have. If you're looking for some big games, probably not. Yeah, I was going to check here. Nick, Nick, any questions there for Sean? Any surprises that you got some questions about? Uh, I want to ask about something you brought up earlier about how uh, New York Giants and Buffalo tend to give extra numbers to the, the IDP performers. Are there, conversely, any teams that tend to not give as as uh, good of numbers that you'd want to avoid when they're playing at home? Um, yeah, there definitely are. And um, let me see if I have that data here in front of me. I know the Seahawks home stat crew um, has not given as many points in general. They're towards the bottom. And part of that... Um, at least historically, has been attributed not just to the Homestack crew not awarding as many points, um, but also just to the Seattle Seahawks kind of game flow, what they do, uh, run the clock down through their run game. There's just not as many plays, which is why some people thought Philadelphia would be one of the better uh, Homestack crews because they run so many plays that your IDPs get extra opportunities. Um, Also towards the bottom, so 92% is what the Seahawks are awarding. Um, Similar numbers, 92% uh, for IDPs playing in uh, Cleveland and Minnesota. Um, And so also one of the things that you'll see with the teams, the home stack crews that don't provide as many points, is that they're not really great offenses playing in those stadiums. So in Cleveland's case, uh, they're not out there as long. The other defenders aren't out there as long. Um, the offense can't stay on the field. The opposing IDPs can't get quite as many points. But right now it looks like uh, Cleveland, Minnesota, and the Seahawks are sort of the bottom three stadiums. 
Well, that's not good news for Eric Kendricks. But uh, what, what do you what do you think? <laughs> with the trade, with the trade with Hodges to San Fran, is, is Kendricks just ready to ready to blow up? I hope so. Um, I think this is potentially good for IDP all around. Um, people have been looking for the next San Francisco linebacker to fill in the Chris Borland, Patrick Willis shoes. And, I mean, Navarro Bowman's done well enough that you want to start him. Um, nobody's thrilled with what he's done so far because everybody wanted him to come in and be the, the number one linebacker in the whole league um, in terms of tackles. Um, but Gerald Hodges is going to go there, and he'll probably get an every-down role if he's as good as um, he's looked during a lot of weeks in Minnesota. And then I think just by default, Kendricks' snaps have to go up. So he was a 50 to 60% snap guy before and getting a few more each week now that Hodges is gone. He's got to be at least an 80% guy and hopefully an every-down guy. And, uh, I mean, he's been plenty productive even on his limited snaps so far. So, uh, yeah, I think he's definitely a guy you want. Um, and I would not be surprised at all if he's an LB1 uh, more often than not going forward because Chad Greenway's slowing down. He's not going to do it. Um, and somebody there's got to. And like I said, their offense maybe can't stay on the field long enough, so they see a bunch of snaps every game. A lot of teams running the ball a lot, and that's kind of what he does. He stops the run. Um, so, yeah, I, I like Eric Kendricks a lot. I was so excited after that trade. I, w- I went in there into DFW 36 and got him in my lineup, and then I realized like three days later that they were on a bye. <laughs> uh, like, oh, man, shoot. Uh, so let's get this Let's get to some in-season uh, plant your flag or wash your hands. What do you think about Kerry uh, Wynn? Obviously, you maybe answered some of that already with the Giants crew, but this is a guy that uh, I didn't necessarily see a whole lot coming out of him, but he's actually been playing pretty well. Well, um, I guess he's the New York Giants defensive end to own. <laughs> I don't know what that's saying. There's not a lot of uh, production coming out of those guys so far, but he's 24 years old. He's playing 70% of his snaps, so that's good enough in those boxes. Um, But I don't think he's yet to register a sack, and they're just not a very disruptive group overall so far. Um, He's certainly, you know, if I have to take one of those guys, I guess I'm taking ahead of Odigizua as much as that pains me. Um, I guess I'm taking him ahead of DeMontre Moore and – um, you know, Jason Pierre-Paul, the, the books or the, you know, things are sort of out, at least on, on hold for that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Kerry Wynn, he's a good guy. And if he's going up against a weak offensive line, definitely worth a start, I think. Okay. Um, oh, so, so do I count? Um, I guess I'm planting my flag. <laughs> okay. All right. Um yeah, I mean, I, I have him in one league, and the, this league I was really excited about because I started with uh, Jarrell Casey and uh, Olivier Vernon. I, I don't know what on earth happened to Vernon, but I guess just uh, yeah. the rest of the Dolphins stink is washed down to him. And I ended up picking up Hayward, uh, Cameron Hayward, and Kerry Wynn, and they're they're outproducing both of those guys. I thought I had a nice tandem there, and uh, it's uh, it hasn't been – Hasn't been the case, unfortunately. But uh, what about uh, Melvin Ingram? Now, I was pretty vocal about this guy that he can't stay on the field and he's maybe playing out of position. But he's actually – he might be turning the corner. Yeah, I think he's promising. Um, so he's 26, and unfortunately you probably have to play him at linebacker. At least that's where I've seen him in my leagues. I mean, correct me if you guys have seen him as a defensive end in any formats. Um 
So I don't know. I, my whole IDP philosophy is largely don't lose the game. I try to get those tackle guys. I try to build the high floor with my defensive guys so that I can take a bunch of risks on the offensive side of the ball. Because if I take risks on both sides, then I inevitably can't get my stars to align and lose every week. So I build a high floor. My linebackers are the easiest part to get a lot of tackles out of. Um, And so Melvin Ingram, I'm not that excited about um, since I'm more hoping for sacks from him. And the fact that he has one and a half sacks through um, five weeks is pretty good, but he's only had two QB hits, which is pretty weak. And I use QB hits as sort of an indicator of what, what meat has been left on the bone so to use uh, Joseph Randall speak. Um, and so he's only had two QB hits and one and a half sacks. That's maybe he's operating at the max of what you can expect out of him, at least in his current situation with his current talent level and snap count. So um, I guess, you know, if I had to plug a hole for a bye week, sure. But I'm going to say uh, not planting my flag, so I guess washing my hands by default. Okay. Uh, Bruce threw in the, the... – Jerry Adachoa, I think is how you say that last name, in the waiver wire this week. There in uh, uh, San Diego, you like him a little bit better than Ingram? He seems to be at least getting some tackles. Um, I mean, they're both – I guess – I don't know. I think I like Ingram a little bit more. I think he's shown me a little bit more of a sample size. Adachoe, um, if that's how you say it, I'm not entirely sure myself. Um, he seems a little bit raw to me. Um, I'm probably not investing in either guy. Yeah. That's probably not a bad idea because that San Diego defense is uh, – Armonte Bryant in Cleveland, what do you think about this guy? He's been kind of up and down, but uh, he's up right now. Yeah, like Kerry Wynn, I think he's the Cleveland defensive end to own. However, I would take Wynn over him. Um, mainly because he's got a smaller role right now. He's only playing – I mean – He's playing the biggest percent of snaps of the guys in Cleveland, but he's only playing 55% of the snaps. So just not a lot of guys there seeing anything near a majority of the down. Um, he's had 3.5 sacks, so he's been more productive than Wind in the, the pass rushing department. And uh, promisingly, he's had five QB hits, so that's a pretty good number, um, especially on the limited snaps that he's had. If his snap count starts to go up, I think it become he could become – Really interesting. Um, right now, he's sort of a guy I'd take off the waiver wire, but not a guy I'd trade anything significant for. Yeah. yeah. Um, Nick's got a couple here for you. There, too. Nick, what do you got for us? Well, what are we supposed to think about Jason Pierre, Paul? I mean, depending <laughs> on who you ask, he's either going to be ready to play next week or he'll never play again. I, I have no idea what to think there. What, do you, what are your thoughts? Oh, I don't know. I own way too many Jason Pierre-Paul shares to be unbiased about this. Um, I mean, the thing about defensive line is that you either have the top guy, J.J. Watt, or maybe the second tier of guys, and then you sort of have everyone else that's almost interchangeable with what you could stream off of waivers. Um, So you're really looking for a really select tier of guys. And right now, Jason Pierre-Paul's stock is at an all-time low. So you're certainly, I mean, there's no better buy low opportunity than now. Um, he's going next to Dante Fowler, um, Odigi Zua, Clinton McDonald. I mean, these are names that other than, I mean, Dante Fowler and JPP, I could see having that discussion in your mind, um, which guy you think has the better chance to come back um, and 
become an elite guy in the league. Um, so I could see taking a gamble on him down at that price. Um, you're looking at the 30th defensive lineman off the board if you're doing a draft. I think that's a pretty fair value for a guy who's at least shown us he can do that. Um, do I think he's going to come back and be an elite guy? I'm beginning to think more and more, probably not, just from the time off, um, the physical aspect of recovering from his injury. I think he's a long shot, but at at the rank of 30th at his position, I think that's a reasonable chance to take. Okay, uh, another guy I want to ask about is uh, in Detroit, Kyle Van Noy. People were pretty excited when he was a second-round pick, but he's done next to nothing in last <laughs> year and then about the same this year. Is he a guy that you'd wash your hands on? Oh, I, I'm pretty happy washing my hands of him. Um, I mean, I remember watching some tape when he came out, and I can't say I've thought about him again until I got, <laughs> until I got the email. Um, until I see a few snaps, I see a couple of good weeks back-to-back. I'm not going to worry too much about uh, Kyle Van Noy. Again, I like the physical talent, um, but I think he's got a long way to go before he's even, um, you know, a, a waiver wire target of mine. What's going okay. on with that Detroit linebacker core? Uh, Levy's probably out for another two or three weeks. I just saw T. Here Whitehead's not producing like I thought he was. And where did this Josh Burns guy come from? Yeah, he's apparently the only every-down linebacker there. Um, for whatever that's worth. And, you know, I, I would have thought Tulloch could have had a good year, even with um, DeAndre Levy in the lineup. Um, so without him, I thought Tulloch would have potentially been a really good buy. But apparently Bynes is the one to own, um, if there is one to own there. I think it's Ezekiel Ansa, and uh, I don't know where else you go for IDP value there. The safeties are doing okay, I guess, cornerbacks. But, uh, yeah, no, not a lot of linebackers there I'd invest in. Go ahead, Nick. Okay, uh, the last guy I have here is Kyle Williams, the defensive tackle in Buffalo. He's probably the most talented player on that defense, but he's playing in that Rex Ryan scheme that tends to not have the best numbers for their defensive tackles, and that's kind of been the case this year. What, do you have any thoughts on him? I do, and the fact that you can – well, so I still have trouble believing that he's defensive tackle again and that Jerry Hughes – is a defensive end again. Um, I was prepared to shift him. I read an article about this in the offseason, um, shift everybody out into that 3-4 scheme, but it seems like they're keeping their 4-3 designations. And so if you get to play him at defensive tackle, I think he's a really good play. Um, and then I think the question becomes, becomes is he uh, does he hold his, his worth against defensive ends in general, defensive line, league. And he's only had one sack, but he has six QB hits on the year. Um, which there's only six guys, or actually, uh, yeah, six guys that have had more QB hits. And let me read you those names. They are J.J. Watt, Carlos Dunlop, Everson Griffin, Ezekiel Ansel, Ansa, Michael Bennett, and Gerald McCoy. So those are all pretty good names that have all gotten a lot more sacks. All of them have at least three sacks. Now, if you include all the guys who have had six QB hits, which is the same that Kyle Williams has had, all of them have at least two sacks, so they've all been doing a little bit better than him. So of the group that's been generating that amount of pressure, um, the same amount of pressure as Kyle Williams, he's kind of a, the worst in terms of sacks that he's accumulated. So I think he's going to improve. And if you can get that at the defensive tackle position, um, you're looking at a, a Gerald McCoy caliber player. Um, so I think that he's definitely a guy I would plant my flag on at defensive tackle. If my league requires a defensive tackle, 
I'd be happy carrying him as the only one on my roster outside of the bye week. Um, but, yeah, I like Kyle Williams a lot. Um, maybe some more uh, some more philosophical IDP style questions here for you. Actually, let's, before we get to that, what what do you think of uh, the IDP rookies so far? What do you, what do you, I know we, we hit on Kendricks. He's kind of the big one. And any other thoughts, any guys kind of playing above their head or anybody guys that we should maybe keep an eye on there? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the guys that we were high on coming into the year have done pretty well. They've kind of done what we expected of them. Maybe guys like Eric Kendricks are coming on a little slower, but still, I mean, it's week six, and he's about to get an every-down roll. So um, a lot of the guys that we ranked really highly are are doing okay. I think what's been more surprising has been some of the sleepers that have come out. So I looked back at the list to see where we ranked guys originally and where I might rank them now, kind of a casual rookie ranking. Um, at defensive line, Vic Beasley and Leonard Williams, I think, are still uh, should be rostered in almost every IDP league. And then Henry Anderson, uh, this guy from Indianapolis. And he had one or two weeks with a really high tackle count, but he still held his own on other weeks. So I think he's the, the one addition, one defensive lineman that you definitely want to make sure is rostered in your league. And then, you know, we're still interested in Randy Gregory, Dante Fowler, Diggy Zua. Uh, guys like that, but we want to see them uh, do a little bit more. And, you know, I'm losing interest in Eric Armstead and Danny Shelton. Um, They're still guys, they're still talents that I'm going to keep an eye out when I see the little blurbs come across the road world. But um, at this point in the season, I'm looking for guys that can help me this year, and they're sort of um, more long-term projects. At linebacker, like I said, we've got Eric Kendricks and Stephon Anthony. They seem to be doing fine, but then our sleepers – Quan Alexander is probably the rookie linebacker to own right now. And um, I had him, I think, seventh in the preseason, so he's a pretty good sleeper. Rameek Wilson, he's been extremely productive, although he's still not seeing an every-down role. And uh, Jordan Hicks, he's filling in while the uh, Philly linebacker core is beat up. And he's definitely a guy you want to own right now. Uh, we'll see how much his long-term value holds up when all those guys get healthy. And then at defensive back, I still think it's Landon Collins should be rostered in every IDP league. He was the number one guy preseason. He still is. He's got the home stack crew. He's an every down, strong safety. He's the guy you want. Uh, We saw some early season flashes from Ronald Darby and Marcus Peters. But again, these rookie cornerbacks, once they prove their worth, um, they stop getting tested quite as much. Uh, So I think we might have seen some of the best games we're going to see, especially out of Marcus Peters. Um, I like Derby a little bit more over the rest of the season because he's opposite Gilmore, who's a cornerback that's still going to warrant some quarterbacks sort of throwing the ball away from him. And so I think Derby gets a little bit more work, uh, gets targeted a little bit more by opposing QBs going forward. Um, But I don't feel like I necessarily have to own either. Cornerback is such a deep position and such an unpredictable one that I'm pretty happy uh, streaming guys there. So uh, that's sort of where we are with some of the rookies that I think should be owned or should at least be considered on a streaming basis. Okay. What? Um, quick question for you. Isn't Brandon Browner still playing safety in, Sam, in, in New Orleans? Um, I believe I've noticed so. Last, oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, I'm just saying I noticed last, that he's still listed as a cornerback on, on my fantasy league. So if you need a – you need a guy that's going to maybe get you some 
get you some nice production there. He might be somebody somebody to consider there. So. Yeah, my fantasy league in particular um, is pretty hesitant to change their positions once we get past the preseason. Um, even into like the third or fourth week of the preseason, they try to be done switching people around so that way you don't draft somebody and then you know find out they have some unfavorable uh, position change. So he's probably locked into that position all year long. So yeah, you can exploit little things like that. Um, but I don't know that he's. I'd have to look to see what he's done. I'm not. I don't know that he's lighting the world on fire from whatever position he's playing there. Yeah, he's he's got a fairly fairly decent uh, points points on the year. So, um, now you kind of led into it maybe just a little bit here with uh, streaming cornerbacks. Are if you're going to do this, are are cornerbacks versus like high volume passing offenses or elite wide receivers good plays? You know, like if you got a a number one guy that's available going up against like a DeAndre Hopkins or, you know, look look at Atlanta and how much they throw the ball. Is it, is it decent to roll those guys out against opponents like that? Yeah, I think that's definitely one thing to consider, and especially if it's an elite wide receiver like a Julio Jones and a Matt Ryan. Like, they're not going to be scared to go after any cornerback. You know, every week that they come up, they're going to get their share of targets, and your cornerback's going to get their share of tackles when they uh, – let Julio catch the ball at least a couple times. Um, so that's one thing to consider. I mean, high-volume offenses or high-volume passing attacks in general, maybe not because, I mean, I think that the Jaguars have a, a good chance of being a high-passing offense every single week. But if they've got uh, Joe Hayden shutting down Allen Robinson, Allen Robinson's probably not going to get the ball all that much, in which, which case you probably want Cleveland's number two cornerback. Um, so it's definitely one thing to consider. Um, Julio, uh, who else? Dez is out. I mean, the really elite wide receivers, yeah, you want to get the guys matching up with them. Um, and probably more importantly, you want the cornerback opposite the guy who's uh, who's going to be uh, causing the quarterback to throw away from him. But, yeah, offensive. You, want, you can look at QB attempts, uh, passing attempts, and use that as a rough indicator of, where you want to pick up your cornerback. Okay. Uh, Nick, any other questions there, maybe along that line? Uh, well, in generally speaking, uh, would you rather, say, if you're streaming your cornerbacks, would you rather have the guy going up against Julio Jones, or would you rather stream a cornerback that's, say, uh, facing a very turnover-prone quarterback like Kirk Cousins? I definitely tend more towards the turnover-prone uh, players. Um, cornerback... It's just, I mean, even if you do the smartest play and you go for the guy playing Julio, you might get a handful of tackles, um, and you may get two or three points, three or four points on the week, uh, which is nice. And like I said, I mean, maybe this is the one position where I don't just go for the safest play that I possibly can because the difference between getting a couple tackles every single week and getting an interception every third or fourth week you know, the big week will help you out a lot more than just a couple points. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I look for rookies going – or for uh, cornerbacks going up against rookie quarterbacks. I mean, Jameis Winston is just throwing picks like candy at a parade. Um, so I've taken cornerbacks <laughs> against Jameis Winston pretty often this week. Um, I'd much rather go up against a bad quarterback than I would go up against a good wide receiver. Okay. Um, so, 
basically start him against Matthew Stafford and Calvin Johnson? Is that what we're saying here? Is that the <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the perfect combination right there? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's I'm, the best of both worlds. And Carson Palmer, I mean, pick um, guys who throw picks aren't necessarily the worst quarterbacks in the league. I think Carson Palmer has um, some ridiculous number of games with a pick. Uh, so, I mean, starting guys against them, and that's, again, one of those high-volume passing offenses. That's another uh, where these lines intersect, these things that we look for. Uh, they all intersect at, you know, guys like Matthew Stafford, maybe Carson Palmer, um, definitely Jameis Winston. <laughs> and they got Evans and Vijax. So that's not a bad bad thing there either. Um, how much... How much does your IDP analysis kind of help you set your offensive lineups? Does that does that really maybe help you turn turn the corner on some guys that you're thinking about for the week? Or a little bit. I mean, I've tried to make recommendations based on this in the past, and sometimes it works, and it seems like just as often it doesn't. Um, last year, the the Green Bay cornerbacks got really beat up, and so you try to recommend the opposing receivers, but it doesn't really work out if all of a sudden, you know, you're going up against a really beat-up secondary and you start, um, I don't know, Mike Evans, and then Vincent Jackson catches two touchdowns right off the bat because the secondary is so bad, and then they run the ball the rest of the game. So you try to use the nuggets that we have. Um, One example that has worked out so far this year is Baltimore, who has a pretty strong run defense and a pretty terrible uh, pass defense the teams going up against them are just avoiding their run defense altogether and throwing the ball quite a bit. Um, So knowledge like that sometimes works out. Um, Putting it together into some consistent game plan that I can employ week in and week out is a little bit tough. And I think that when I'm facing these decisions, the trends that the offense has shown me uh, sort of trump those of what I've seen out of the defense because those offenses are going to maintain their identity no matter who they're playing for the most part. Um, Green Bay is going to pass the ball to certain guys, and you're going to trust that more than you're going to trust that they had one um, safety who got injured last week, and that's going to change the offensive attack. Okay. Nick, any any further questions there for the doctor? Uh, I don't think so. Just sitting back and learning. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Sean. I'm glad we were able to get you on again. I I know you're a busy man, but I'm I'm glad it worked out and uh, we always uh always appreciate your uh your nugget your nugget dropping. <laughs> that came out wrong. That came out oh, wrong. Oh man, wrong. I'm going to anyway. I'm gonna look around for camera. <laughs> okay. Uh okay. All right. Thank you, Sean, for joining us. Sorry about the awkward ending, but uh we uh, no problem. You know we appreciate you and uh and have a great day, bud. Um, yeah, thanks for squeezing me in. Good talking to you guys. Yeah. Yep. Take Bye. care. All right. Um, as as I promised earlier, I finally had time to do a a dynasty depth charger clip. So now I'm building it up way too much, but I'm gonna play it anyway. Um I wanna say I use my best radio voice. Sometimes I try that, it doesn't sound very good, but then I then I got a little into the effects, and I think I, I think it came out all right. So here, Nick, after this, Nick's going to give you his Dynasty Depth Charger. It's Dynasty Depth Charger time.
that so what if I told you that? Was a, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Oh no, that go ahead. In case you're wondering, at the, end, the at the end there, that was a uh, underwater depth charge explosion after the music. So, right, sorry, I'm really sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. But. <laughs> oh, it's all good. So what if I told you there's a 25-year-old wide receiver who's made enough clutch catches at key moments that he's earned his quarterback's trust enough to be leading his team in receiving yards, and he's available in a number of leagues. Jermaine Curse's perceived value isn't as high as his teammates Doug Baldwin, Tyler Lockett, and, of course, the tight end Jimmy Graham. But it may be time to reevaluate things. Curse has never topped 540 yards in a season, but with a team leading 274 yards already, he's on pace for a breakout year. And it's not like he had one game with 170 yards and then 25 yards every other week. He's been consistent. Three of his five games, he's been over 75 yards, and he scored a touchdown one of the weeks he didn't have those yards. So four out of five weeks, he's put up decent numbers. Now, I know it's tough to get excited about a Seattle pass catcher, but let's say you have a guy like Marcus Colston. He's old and a struggling offense and injured. I would have no problem just releasing him, and especially in dynasty formats, uh, releasing a guy like that for the younger curse. And, you know, while the sample size is probably too small to cut Doug Baldwin for curse, if I had them both on my team, I'd likely be starting curse over Baldwin right now. I've long thought that a first down should look a point in fantasy football, as converting a third or a fourth and one can be at times more important than another player's some of yard game. And I know that's not likely to catch on, but that's the type of scoring that Curse would just thrive in. It seems like whenever Wilson really needs a conversion, Curse is the man he looks to. And, you know, if you've been disappointed in your receiving core this year, Curse is a guy that can help you out. Long term, uh, Doug Baldwin admits he's an angry man, so it's possible he could be a ticking time bomb as far as getting into trouble off the field. And Jimmy Graham could end up being just another expensive toy that the Seahawks can't figure out how to use properly, leaving Curse and uh, the rookie Lockett as starters for years to come. That's all speculative, of course, but isn't any, everything we do as dynasty owners pretty speculative? I think Curse could have a pretty bright future there in Seattle. Uh, throwing darts, I think that's the term. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it seems like every time I watch a Seattle game, the the guy that makes the big play offensively downfield, it's Kirsch. I mean, they're, I'll never forget the when they won on their Super Bowl run. He he made a ridiculous touchdown catch. It looked, it looked like Russell Wilson was just playing like 500 in the backyard and just chucked it up, up to the heavens, and somehow he came down with it. Uh, of course, he made that awesome dangling catch at the end of the Super Bowl last year too where he fell on on his back. Um the guy just he's kind of their deep threat. I know I know uh Lockett certainly has great potential and I and I still believe a whole lot in this kid. And like Nick said, it's hard to put your trust in a Seattle wide receiver. But uh Kirsch is the guy that makes plays for this team and even if it's even if he's only getting like one or two receptions per game, it seems like one of them is is for a good chunk of yards, you know, twenty, thirty yards. So, uh, uh, definitely a, a nice uh, guy that you could throw in there in your bye week filler. So, um, straight off of Twitter via Ian Rap- Rappaport, uh, apparently the Colts have brought back Ahmad Bradshaw. So, um, since he can only play ten weeks anyway, it seems like I guess they're going to get him for the final ten weeks of the season. I, I, I don't know. I like I said, I just saw that uh, just call come across my screen here. So I don't. Uh, I kind of would doubt that he would be in lineup this Sunday night. See what kind of game shape he is in. But it's not like he's not uh, unfamiliar with that playbook. So uh, if you need a waiver ad, uh, Ahmad Bradshaw is out there. So. I know a couple people have been hanging on to him in a couple weeks. So that'll make 
that'll make them happy, certainly. Uh was a nice PPR at last year, so uh, uh let's get to our top twelve rookies, Nick. Um kinda doing this like the rookie drafts were uh now instead of in May. And uh, we're kind of reshuffling things here, Nick. So uh, why don't you just uh, maybe name your 12 and kind of uh, the the sentence you have written on them, and I'll go after you. Okay, well, number one, it's got to be Todd Gurley. He's got over 300 yards combined the last two weeks, 49 carries, whereas Trey Mason has four carries. Even Tavon Austin has more carries than Trey Mason over the last couple weeks. If he stays healthy, he could have a career like another running back who had injury question marks coming out of school, Adrian Peterson. We've got to love what Todd Gurley's doing. Uh, Number two, uh, I'd have to take Amari Cooper. Uh, This year is not like last year's wide receiver prop, but Cooper would have fit in right with that bunch. Uh, Carter Cooper is a connection. Fans of the silver and black I think they're going to enjoy it for years to come. Uh, next up, this might be a little bit of a reach, but I think I would actually take Thomas Rawls third. Uh, the big storyline out of Seattle is the weak offensive line, but that didn't stop Rawls from having a 169-yard day in Cincinnati last week. Uh, this guy's a true rookie free agent steal for the Seahawks, and I think they're going to continue to run the ball well with Rawls after Lynch retires, likely at the end of this year. Next up, I'd probably take David Johnson. Uh, let's face it, Chris Johnson's not going to get that contract extension they're talking about. He's a rental right now at his age. Uh, David Johnson, only three carries, zero catches last week, although he did have two touchdowns. You know, if you're rebuilding, you might be able to buy low if the owner is concerned about his low workload moving forward this season. Uh, next up, I would probably go with uh, Marcus Mariota. You know, I think rookie quarterbacks would go higher in rookie drafts if they didn't have such a high bust rate, but neither Winston or Mariota seems to be completely falling on their face. So I think Five is a decent spot for the safer of the two options there. Uh, next up, probably I would do a Carlos, Carlos Williams. When he plays, he scores a touchdown every single game as a professional. Yeah, as long as that concussion isn't too severe, I think he should be back pretty soon. And he's earned a role moving forward, even when LaShawn McCoy returns from his injury. After that, I'd probably take T.J. Yeldon. Uh, he's an every-down back in Jacksonville, yes, but he's probably not as electric as those uh, backs taken ahead of him. He's great for PPO. It's great for PPR owners to see him getting involved in the passing game. Five catches for 31 yards and a touchdown last week. That somewhat salvaged the fact that he only had 32 yards on the ground. Uh, next up, I think I would actually take Kevin White. You know, I'm pretty sure this time last year, Odell Beckham Jr. hadn't played yet, and look what he's ended up doing. Uh, White was a top-four pick in nearly all rookie drafts this uh, spring and early summer, so I think he's an absolute steal getting him at eight, especially considering uh, Alshon Jeffrey appears to be getting injury-prone and Jay Cutler's playing pretty good football. So, you know, he could be Kevin White could be a pretty good weapon once he finally gets on the field. After that, I'd probably go with Duke Johnson, you know, and this is assuming that it's PPR scoring because Duke Johnson's had 15 catches over the last two weeks. It's a guy that's unlikely to top 100 yards rushing anytime soon, so if your league gives bonus points for the 100-yard games, you might be a little bit wary, but in regular PPR formats, he's got a very safe floor giving his involvement in the passing game. After that, I'd probably go with Amir Abdullah. Abdullah would probably be higher, but the Lions are just such a mess right now. And really, you could probably flip-flop between him and Tevin Coleman. I, I just went with Abdul because Devontae Freeman in, in Atlanta is playing so well that he's probably going to limit Coleman's touches for the foreseeable future anyway. After that, probably Jameis Winston. You know, as far as we know, there's only two rookie quarterbacks worth having this year. So if you didn't get Mariota, you got to take Winston in the end of the first round. It's just too thin of a position. And 
Finally, as number 12, I'd probably go with Tevin Coleman, although the argument could be made for Ty Montgomery, Philip Dorsett, Melvin Gordon, Devontae Parker, but I think Tevin Coleman's probably going to see enough action there in Atlanta to make him look, uh, the last pick in the first round. Uh, what are your 12 look like, Josh? Um, well, we had the first couple the same. Obviously, yeah, the, the knee injury is still on Gurley's resume, but uh, I think we're seeing him at full strength right now, and it is – Pretty darn impressive. Um, uh, number two, Amari Cooper. I mean, is head and shoulders above the rest of this wide receiver class. I just, obviously, being a Raiders fan, I'm super excited about him, and I and I hope this 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 trend continues. But he's just, he's everything that they advertise to be, and I think I think he's a little more dynamic than people wanted to give him credit for. You know, all those people that wanted to throw Kevin White. A, Ahead of him, obviously, you know, an injury is why we are not talking about White a whole lot right now. But uh, I'm just super excited about there. Um, number three, I actually have Carlos Williams. I just think the I know the concussions are out there right now, but you just cannot argue with the production. And you know, I don't know what the touchdowns are for him versus David Johnson, but we know what the what the touches have been like, and we. I know Shady's there too, but Williams has just been able to produce even when Shady was in the lineup. So that's pretty pretty impressive there to me. Number four, I got Mariota. Um, we're going to talk about Mariota Winston a little bit after this, and I just I feel like he's 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 doing so so many good things right now with um, not as many weapons, and we'll get to more of that later. And I just I really have really been impressed with him, and it's, he's making he's making the step really well and a lot of people were were hesitant to think that he was going to do that and I think I think he's ahead of where I thought he was going to be now too so I really like Mariota number five I got Jameis Winston um he's got weapons and he he's certainly using them he's 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 maybe chucking the ball downfield and maybe making some mistakes but he's making rookie mistakes and he's so far I think he's been very mature about the way he's been handling things, and they they got themselves a couple wins already. So I've, I've been impressed by Winston. Number six, I got T.J. Yeldon. Um, that's you know that's a lot of respect for me because I'm not a Yeldon fan at all. Uh, but uh, the opportunity just continues to be there. He's obviously a big part of this offense. Um, Alan Hearns and Allen Robinson are just doing major damage as wide receivers and. You know, once they get Julius Thomas get going in this offense, I think that's going to maybe open some things up for T.J. Yeldon. Uh, number seven, I got Duke Johnson. Um, I want to know people scouting reports on uh, Marshall Folk coming out because I, I I see a lot of Marshall Folk and Duke Johnson. I also see a lot of Clint Portis too. So I think I think I'm not saying he's going to be as good as those two legends, but I just I feel like there's some really good things to come, and he's obviously getting involved and in making catches right now, so he's been a nice little a nice little player for them. Um, number eight, I actually have Amir Abdullah. I know Detroit is a mess, um, and and I it's been a few weeks now since he's had a, had a big game, but it, again, like with Yeldon, I think the opportunity is going to be there. I mean, Joy Bell is going to. You know, Joe Bell's not even going to be on the NFL team this time next year. I, I'm almost positive. If he is, I'm I'm very sorry to who that NFL team is. Uh, I just think he's going to be going to have an opportunity to be the lead guy there, and he's going to. 
I think he's going to prosper. I really like what I've seen from him so far. Uh, number nine, I got David Johnson. I wanted to put him a little higher because of the touchdowns, but again, it's it's the rule that he's unfortunately settled into. It's not going to be as high volume, and I, and I think you know he's got the potential, if not next year, the year after that, to just be an unbelievable player. But I think it's going to be slow going there. Um, number ten, I have Melvin Gordon. I just. I expected a lot more out of Melvin Gordon, and I almost didn't want to put him put him in this top twelve. Uh, but he is at least getting opportunity. He's not seizing it like I thought he would. Um, especially think about all those people that took uh, Gordon over Amari Cooper. Think about how they're feeling right now, Nick. Um, number eleven, I got Thomas Rawls. Uh, I I wanted to put him higher too, but I still think he's gonna. He's going to see a, a role reduction here, but uh, he looks certainly to be the future there and probably their RB1 next year. Um, but, you know, it is just a small sample size. You know, people get overly excited, you know, when we see stuff like this happen. I'm going to look at Doug Martin a few years ago. And uh, I, so I'm, I'm hesitant to give him a little higher. Uh, and number 12, I, I have to throw Eric Kendricks in there. I know he's not lighting the world on fire exactly yet, but I, I still think he is the number one IDP option out of out of that class and he's gonna he's gonna show it over the next month. I think we're gonna see some really good things from uh from Mr. Kendrick. So pretty pretty excited about that. Um moving forward here, Nick Dynasty dilemma time. We'll do the short clip. Um we're putting Marcus Mariota versus uh, Jameis Winston, because Nick is so good at these, I like to get dilemmas that I think are maybe a little weighted, or like make him, you know, make him do guys that he's not necessarily high on. So I like to give Nick a little bit of a challenge because he's really good at this. He's really, really good at this. Uh, but uh, we're gonna do Mariota versus Winston here after the short music clip. <laughs> Okay, so we've all heard the Alex Smith comparisons with Mariota and the possibility of him having a rookie year like RG3. Uh, Winston is Big Ben slash Brett Favre and all that jazz. But through five weeks, these rooks have combined for 10 touchdowns, excuse me, 15 touchdowns and 10 interceptions. Uh, no... Uh, the the bad thing is that seven of those interceptions belong to Winston, and only seven of those touchdowns belong to Winston. Uh, doesn't you can use your grade school math to figure out that leaves eight touchdowns and three picks left for Mariota. Uh, oh no, yeah, did I mention Mariota's played in one less game? So Mariota, who has been criticized for not throwing the ball downfield, has one more touchdown than Winston and just 150 less yards in one less game. Uh, coincidentally, neither one of these guys are listed on um, pro football focus. They don't have enough pass attempts over 20 yards to be registered in that, uh, in that field. Uh, but to truly judge quarterbacks, uh, Nick, I think we have to, uh, you know, we we judge them by the bling or lack thereof. Um, Primetime failures like Andy Dalton, Tony Romo have endured novels of criticism. They're getting of getting their teams to the for getting their teams to the playoffs routinely. Uh, but where was I? Sorry, Mariota uh, versus Winston. Since the postseason hopes are probably pretty bleak for both of these youngsters. Um, 
I think we can just maybe look and see how they've reacted so far. Winston, certainly a gunslinger. He's put his hand in the fire until it hurts, and then he pulls it back out and then dips it back in at moments. Uh, yes, QBs make mistakes, but they should be they should be calculated risks, and I feel like that's what Mariota's do. Mariota so far does not have a force uh, a force the ball issue. Um, he prevails with a clear head and knows the play and how it breaks down, and that's why his uh, second and even when his second and third options aren't open, he's I think he's just has a nice general understanding of what's going on. Um, I would like everyone to consider that Winston has Doug Martin. Charles Sims, V-Jax, Mike Evans. While Mariota has Kendall Wright, Delaney Walker, and a bunch of McCluster RB3s. Um, I think, I really think, even considering Mariota's conservative style, that he does more with less. Just think if he had a decent RB to be the pace hitter between the tackles. Maybe David Cobb is that answer. He's coming back November 3rd, so if you want to buy low on him right now, you should have done it two weeks ago, but do it right now. I think I think they're going to have some plans for him. Um, you know that is something that Mario Oda, oh, excuse me, Mario Oda always had at Oregon. And even though Wisenhunt is incorporating some of the Ducks' wrinkles into this offense, Mariota to make Mariota more comfortable, I would still argue that Mariota is thriving in unfamiliar territory. He's making plays with what he has to work with. Uh, and if we're splitting hairs, I do think Tennessee has a better defense at this point, so Nick could maybe maybe try to use that against me. But the Titans' D is ju- it's just maybe the fact that the Titans' D is setting up Marriott a little bit better than the underachieving Bucks defense. Uh, on Monday, former scout and NFL player Bucky Brooks compared Winston to Eli Manning, meaning he'll be a high-volume guy. Lots of picks will be overmatched by more touchdowns. I think Nick can agree with that state assessment on Eli, and he might even go there with Winston. Uh, Bucky went on to paint out to paint Mariota as an Alex Smith type of player. Uh, I get that the fact that they're both conservative in their approach, but I also believe, given either Evans or Vjax, Mariota would certainly be more inclined to go downfield. Um, Nick, what do you got for us on Jameis Winston? Well, the argument for Winston over Mariota begins and ends with upside. There's a reason Tampa Bay took him number one overall, even though Mariota may be the quote-unquote smarter quarterback. But you know who else is a smart quarterback? You do because you mentioned him a couple times in your uh, in your argument is Alex Smith. You know, I bet Alex Smith's way smarter than Andy Dalton, Matt Stafford, Ryan Tannehill, Blake Bortles. Yet all those guys are more sought after fantasy commodities than Alex Smith. And Mariota could end up having a similar career stat-wise, especially considering the weapons around him. Kendall Wright's a good football player, yes, but he's nowhere near the level of talent and size that Mike Evans offers. And you throw in Austin Sperry and Jenkins, the aging but still productive Vincent Jackson, and two decent options at running back in Doug Martin and Charles Sims. And Winston simply has more tools around him and is in a better situation to succeed. We should also remember that few, very few mobile quarterbacks like Mariota are able to long-term make the transition to being a pocket quarterback. But Winston isn't athletically gifted in the way Mariota is, so he's already had to be a traditional quarterback for years. And not running also means taking less hits but less opportunities for injury. We see Blake Bortles improve by leaps and bounds this season. I could see the same type of year two improvement coming from Winston next year. These guys are both big arms, six foot four, two hundred thirty ish pound quarterbacks who played their college and NFL ball in Florida. I see some similarities there. 
Now, finally, Josh, I don't think you realize just how big Marcus Mariota is out here in Hawaii. Uh, to put that in perspective, you're near Minneapolis. So if you took Adrian Peterson, Twins great Joe Maller, Prince, and Fran Tarkenton and wrapped up their fame and popularity all into one person in Minneapolis, that's what Mariota is to these great, great islands. And that's a lot of pressure to put on the shoulders of a young man in his early 20s. Josh, let me hear your rebut. The Elvis of Hawaii, Marcus Mariota. Um, <laughs> all right. For once, I've never done this, but I actually wrote my rebut because I wasn't sure where you're going to go. Uh, my guy, my guy, E.K. Eric Casillas, hammered this home the other night, or excuse me, the other morning on the radio. The most underrated thing about quarterbacks is has to be accuracy. People talk about big arm and ability to throw the deep ball. But you got to be an accurate to survive, and that's exactly what Mariota is. Uh, he ranks 16th in the NFL with 64% completion percentage, while Winston is 56.5 and ranks 28th. Mariota has also been sacked four more times in one less game. Uh, Winston does not does grade more accurate under pressure and under 2.5 seconds. Yet for some reason, Mariota over 2.6 seconds, has the advantage. So, I again, that's, I think, uh, a not as good a team around Mariota, and he's still basically outproducing Winston across the board. So we'll leave it at that. Um, that if you want to vote on that Dynasty Lima, it should be up on Dynasty Football Warehouse at some point in time today. Um, it was not up there at this time, but we, we're going we're gonna to get it up there right now. We have somebody working on that, I promise. So what do we do? What do we think about better start here, Nick. Cam Newton versus Joe Flacco. Cam Newton well, at Cam Seattle, Newton. Flacco at San Francisco. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, well, ever since Cam Chancellor came back, the Seattle defense has been playing pretty darn good football, other than, of course, this last week against Cincinnati, who got to give respect to the undefeated Bengals. They're playing great, great football right now. So I would be hesitant, especially in Seattle, to start Cam Newton, whereas the 49ers, other than week one, just kind of look like a mess. So I would have to take Flacco right now. You know, the 40, are the 49ers really a mess? I mean, are are the Giants – how did they stay in that game with the Giants last week? I just was really confused by that. I, I thought it was a kind of a fun story, you know, the first half that it was a close game, but I kind of expected the Giants to just, to you know, bring out the, bring out the big guns and uh, overcome in the second half, and that just was not uh, the case. So maybe there's some life there in San Francisco. Um, you know, Cam Newton has had such a bad history versus Seattle that I feel like this this could be a turnaround. I I think with Keegley coming back, and I know they're going at Seattle, I think this, this Carolina defense is going to be rejuvenated, and I know Keegley might not be 100% of the snap counts or not even a majority right now, but uh, I think that's going to be big. And I, I think – they're going to be in control of that game, and I think he's going to make enough plays to outperform Flacco because, you know, we saw what's – week to week we just don't know, but we saw the Baltimore defense allow the Browns to come back from a huge deficit. 
and San Francisco hung with the Giants, who seem to be trending really strong right now. So I'm gonna go. Fla- I'm gonna go with Cam Newton on there. I just I feel like he's the blue chip guy, and he's the quarterback that people would draft way above Flacco anyway. So I think you got to just play that guy. Oh, struggling, struggling running backs. Ronnie Hillman at Cleveland. And Cleveland is giving up a lot of rushing yards. Um, man, that seems to be the only thing that Denver can do offensively. Or Lamar Miller at Tennessee. What do you think, Nick? Uh, I just can't bring myself to start a Denver Bronco right now as bad as that offense looks. So, you know, Lamar Miller, at least he's got the chance of the head coaching change there in Miami, possibly inspiring the team to overperform this week. So I'm going to I'm gonna go with Lamar Miller, but I don't love either one. Yeah, it's not a very fun one to talk about. I think Chuck Chuck was asking me about Hillman versus Anderson earlier in the week. Sorry that he's got both of those guys, but we'll see what I, – I just – because Cleveland's given up a lot of rushing yards, I feel like Hillman's maybe the better – the better play there. So I would I would go with Hillman. Not just to disagree with Nick, I would just go with Hillman there. Tennessee's got some young off defensive weapons on that team that are playing really good right now. So um I think they're gonna force uh, Tannehill to go downfield and that might be that might not be a good thing. Eric Decker versus Nick's Washington Redskins. Or Golden Tate versus the Bears and there are no cornerbacks. What do you think, Nick? You know, this is the opposite of our last uh, sit-start uh, dilemma because I would I would really like both of these guys. Uh, the Redskins' defense, though, is playing a lot better football than they did last year, whereas you look in Detroit, and I'm starting to wonder if Golden Tate might not be their number one receiver. Uh, Charles or Calvin Johnson just is not the same receiver he was a couple of years ago. I So I would think I would probably go with Golden Tate in this, in this one. Well, and the reason I went with uh, Decker here is because I feel like Breedling's going to be matched up against Brandon Marshall, which should be a good a good uh, matchup to watch. So Decker's had some knee issues, and I, now he's coming off the bye. So that team's going to be healthy and fresh, and I feel like I feel like Decker could. Uh, this could be one of those games where Decker outperforms outperforms uh, uh, Marshall because of the the matchup on the other side. So I would actually go. With Decker there, for some reason, one thing that always sticks into my head, when something looks, I think Chuck said this a couple of years ago, or a couple of weeks ago, when something looks too easy, we talk about that with betting all the time, but when something looks too easy in fantasy football, like Golden Tate versus the Bears, it's because it probably is. I remember a game last year, or maybe, maybe it was two years ago, where Jacksonville was going to Seattle and everybody's like, Oh, Marshawn Lynch is going to have 200 yards and three touchdowns, right? There's, I mean, you can almost you can almost plant it in stone, and I think he ended up having like 60 yards on 20 carries and no touchdowns. So I mean, if it looks too easy, maybe it's because it is. So I'm going to go Eric Decker. Uh, let's get to some dynasty trade analysis here, Nick. Uh, call this one a big boy trade. Is a couple DFW co-owners clashed on this one? Uh, Drew Brees. Kevin White in a 2016 fourth round pick for Tom Brady and Josh Gordon. Now, Burgundy was the guy giving up Brady and Gordon. I love how he always gets a weird late pick on his on his trades. He just has a knack for doing that. So, what do you think? Well, I think it's pretty obvious the team that uh, acquired Tom Brady is trying to win now this year, whereas Drew Brees probably isn't going to help you do that near as much. Uh, Kevin White injured. 
fourth round pick. So, yeah, you know, if you're trying to win now, I like giving up all that for Tom Brady. And then Josh Gordon, he's kind of a flyer. Probably won't ever do anything again, but who knows? Yeah, yeah, I I agree too. Um, you know, I think if you're giving up Tom Brady and you're getting Kevin White, I mean, I think that that might not be. I mean, that doesn't seem like a fair deal, but considering you know Kevin White could be a, a an awesome receiver going forward, it, it's maybe not a a bad rebuilding move. If you're sitting on Tom Brady and a bunch of schmoes at wide receiver, why not? Uh, Al Sean Jeffrey, Austin Safarian Jenkins, excuse me, and two 2016 first round picks for Amari Cooper and Todd Gurley. What do you think, Nick? Um, I, I think it's pretty even all around. I mean, you look at Amari Cooper, Todd Gurley, they would be our top two uh, uh, rookie picks uh, if we were to do the draft today. So, you know, you're giving up a guy, Alshon Jeffrey, who looks to be a little bit injury-prone, Austin Severian Jenkins. Yeah, he has a great ceiling, but we haven't really seen consistent production from him quite yet. So I think this is a pretty fair trade all around. i got to weigh this one towards the side that's getting Gurley and Cooper. I mean, you're giving up two first-round picks, but you're getting the top two rookies of the class, you know, I, I, if I had the goods to acquire Gurley and Cooper in a trade, I mean, who's getting rid of those two guys? I mean, what, seriously, what, what else is on this team that you could afford to get rid of those two guys? Uh, but, uh, yeah, I love the Cooper Gurley side. In this one. Okay, so this is one that I pulled off. Uh, Robert Woods in a third-round pick for I gave up James Jones in a fifth-round pick. Now, I did not have a third-round pick. I traded that in another deal that knitted me a first, another an extra first-round pick next year. Uh, so I'm basically replacing my third-round pick, which and getting – basically, I kind of feel like Robert Woods is basically a uh, James Jones type of player. I feel like he can have, certainly have that type of impact in, throughout his career, and he's a guy that's maybe looking to break out next year. So what do you think? Yeah, I'm with you on Robert Woods. I really like, I think he's got a bright future. And the fact that James Jones, he's probably, this is going to be his last productive year. Green Bay's got enough young talent at wide receiver. They're probably going to move on from him again. So, you know, the fact that you're able to get Woods and move up a couple of rounds, I, I like your side of this trade. Yeah, it's not not a crazy deal. set the world on fire type of thing, and I... I really tried hard to sell James Jones for a second round pick and I, I, I had the opportunity and I and I and I waited just long enough for somebody to pull it back. I wanted to I wanted somebody else to offer me something so I could tell them no and this is what I'm getting from somebody else and then prove it. <laughs> and uh so if you see a good deal come your way, don't sit on it, just take it right away. If you, I mean I'm obviously you need to think about, you know, that deal in your future, but just uh don't hesitate. Don't hesitate to uh to do it because it's gonna gonna get pulled back on you. There's a couple other instances where that happened too. But let's get to Mr. Chuck today. Chuck, sorry to keep you waiting. Yeah, uh, well, I, you know, there's always time for more preparation, so that gave me a little more time to to look at things <laughs> again and doubt myself. Uh, okay, so how did we, I didn't I didn't come back with the homework that I promised. I just realized that right now. But how did we do on our sweeps last week? Well, that's all right. We were uh, three and two on the sweeps. We won the first three. We won the Browns, Bears, and Eagles, and uh, we were off to a flying start. And then we uh, lost on the Rams, and we lost on the Giants. 
The Rams yeah, are kind of sad. Yeah, oh, myself, I let me down. <laughs> and they won the game, but but we're still angry no, at them for. Uh, uh, you know, I, San Francisco is so all over the board. I just, I just don't even want to pick a game in which they're involved anymore because I don't know which. <laughs> yeah, you know how that goes. It seems like when you pick against yeah. them, then they win, and you pick for them, then they get blown out. So um, we'll just, uh, we'll just keep them off our prime picks because they're just not consistent. Okay. Um, you know, Josh, um, I think the most valuable thing you can look at a team, look for in a team when you're either betting for them or against them is consistency because if you know how they're going to do week in and week out you can you can uh, you can adjust and you know what to expect teams like uh, I was looking at another team like that and I can't remember which one it was but the uh teams like the 49ers if you don't know when they're going to feel like playing and when they're not it's it's impossible to predict their games uh yeah and that's why I Pittsburgh versus San Diego last week, so take that, guys. Um, <laughs> I don't know what my record was, but I know I got I know I got that one right. Uh, let's get to the Thursday night matchup, a division rival. A couple teams trending in different ways, that's for sure. As Atlanta visits New Orleans, what do you got for us, Chuck? Latest line is, as a matter of fact, I just looked at these lines about ten minutes ago. Uh, Falcons are favored by three and a half in this game. They started out at three. They've uh, been bet up to three and a half, and and for good reason. The the Falcons are undefeated and and looking really good. Although I don't think they look as uh, I don't think they are as good as they look. Hmm. Okay. Um, I I can dig that statement. I do hate the. Uh... Oh my gosh, Elshon Jeffries practicing people. Sorry, I see I see uh, updates pop by on my phone here during this. Uh, um, I think Atlanta has got a great receiving core. Obviously, Julio Jones and New Orleans does not have a lot in the secondary. So, I was actually because it's I mean, obviously New Orleans at home is the reason this is uh, uh, only three and a half. So I, I'm I think I'd be pretty comfortable taking Atlanta minus five or six in this game. So I, I'll certainly take three and a half. Nick, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, Chuck, I think I agree with you that Atlanta's not quite as good as they look and people think, but I do think the Saints are as bad as they look. So I've got to go. <laughs> well, I'm going to go against you guys. I'm going to look for the Saints to revert to their uh, good at home and bad on the road uh, motif or uh, or M.O. as uh, as we've come to uh, look at them for. I don't know what the status of Julio Jones is right now. I do know that if he's... Uh, if he's not uh, going to sit for this game, I don't think he I, he did he tweaked a hamstring, didn't he? Yeah, latest latest I've seen that he said he's going to play. I mean, obviously team doctors can vote vote against that uh, theory, but it sounds like he is going to play. Okay, this is one of those where you know the Falcons uh, started at three, they went up to three and a half because all, obviously all the money went on the Falcons, and they want to get more people to to. Uh, to uh, go with the Saints, and I am, <laughs> I'm going to help them out. I'm going to take the Saints plus three and a half on Thursday night. Okay. Oh, by the way, Josh, I, I, I did pick up Willie Sneed for my fantasy team, but I don't know if I'm going to play him this week or not. Ooh, okay. Uh, might not be a bad option. He's been been getting up some. Hitting some points, and I think uh, New Orleans is going to have to throw the ball in this game. So that might not be a bad option, especially with uh, 
Marcus Colston more than likely out, so he's going to see maybe some extra snaps there. So I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't uh, vote against you rolling that Mr. Sneed out. Uh, he's an exciting player. And undefeated Cincinnati Bengals going to the Buffalo Bills. What do you got for us, Chuck? Well, believe it or not, the Bengals, no, it, it's easy to believe. The Bengals started out at one and a half, and uh, I just looked at it a few minutes ago, and the Bengals are now three and a half. And I'm assuming that's because uh, the Bills have no running backs left. Uh, I think Tyrod Taylor's hurt. He's probable, but he's also hurt. So that's uh, that's certainly. Oh, a, I had a, not a heard big, of. I big. had I had not heard of that. Yeah, um, you know Buffalo at home is 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 a tough out, and even though the Giants went up there and slapped them around a little bit a few weeks ago, it's still a tough team. If this was three, I'd probably go Cincinnati, but I feel like it's a it's a I know Tyrod's probable, so it sounds like he's not, maybe not 100%, but he is going to play. So I, since it's got that hook on it, I'm going to take Buffalo. I don't think they're going to beat him, uh, but uh, I think it's going to be I think it's going to be a field goal game. I think they maybe saw some some things that got exposed by Seattle last week, and uh, I think mm-hmm. they they make this a, a big game. What do you think, Nick? Uh, I just think that Cincinnati's in for a letdown game, especially considering the the way they won last week, coming back coming back from a 17 point deficit in the fourth quarter. It just feels like they're due for a letdown. So I'm going to go with Buffalo in this one. Okay, my turn, right? Yep. Um, the Bengals. I just, you know, honestly, I had heard that uh, that, that Tyrod had had tweaked something and and uh, was less than a hundred percent, but uh, I didn't know it was enough that it would affect the line like that. So, but but look at the, I mean, I would normally take the Bills in a situation like this plus three and a half points, but but look at what the Bills have. They got an injured Tyrod Taylor, who basically has been the difference this year. Uh, they've got Lashawn McCoy is out. Um, of course, uh, Carlos Anderson. Carlos is out. Williams. Um, Carlos Williams. Uh, they they don't have their running backs, and they've got a half speed quarterback, and I I think that just leaves them really really vulnerable to the Bengals. So, as much as I hate to give the the hook there, three and a half points, I'm still going to take the Bengals. Okay. Denver at Cleveland. What do you got for us? Broncos at Cleveland. <laughs> Could this be the week the Broncos finally fall after coming close all of those weeks? Um, I hope the Broncos so. are the Broncos are favored by four and a half now. The opening line was four; it's now four and a half. Uh, yuck! Nick, what do you think? You go first. Uh, you know what? I just I, I think the Broncos lose this week. Cleveland's playing pretty decent football, especially by their standards. Uh, big win over Baltimore last week, and I know that's a division game. Sometimes you kind of got to throw those out. But I just think Denver, they just look so uninspired right now that I have to go with the Browns. I'm going to take Denver, and I don't like it at all. I just I feel like the best thing in this game is the Denver defense, and Josh McCown's not throwing for 300 yards, so uh, – We'll put we'll put that out on the table and and Denver probably wins this by a touchdown. It's it's not going to be pretty, but it's like a you know like a nineteen to twelve game or something like that. So Chuck, what do you think? 
Yeah, this is a tough one. One of the toughest things is to take a team that that is all defense, and I and I hate to say that about the Broncos, but they really are all defense these days and no offense. Uh, and I know firsthand having all the Denver running backs and waiting for them to bust out. <laughs> and it could be one of those weeks. You know, the Browns are, I think, I believe, twenty eighth in the league against the against the run, somewhere somewhere low against uh, against running backs in fantasy. So maybe the Bronco running backs will get going, but I just can't figure out this Bronco team. You know, you can pick against them, and they always seem to uh, just lizard the game out at the end. You know, the, the Raiders, you know, they got a defensive touchdown against the Raiders to uh, to beat that spread last week, and uh, uh, that was one of them that hurt a lot. So uh, I'm, I'm going to go against them one more time here. We'll look at, you know, second row game in a row. It was a tough game last week against the Raiders. Um, the Browns kind of have that mojo, kind of that uh, that little aura around them right now where everything's going right for them. So I'm going to take the Browns plus four and a half along with you. Did you take the Browns, Josh? Nick did. Oh, you took the Broncos. Yep. Okay. Yep, I, don't I thought we were going to sweep that one. Yeah, I'm going to no. take the Browns. Okay. Detroit, winless Detroit is a – it's a favorite. I guess it's a home team favorite. So what, what do you, what do you, what do you think? What do you got for it? Start. It, it started at three, and it's still at three, Josh. Okay. Well, it's your Bears, so you go ahead there, sir. All right. You know, when when was the last time that you could uh, that you could that you had a a team that hasn't won? You know, after five games, zero and five, and they're giving up three points at home, especially against a team like the Bears. They have been. I was just reading an article about how good a coach, how how good a job of coaching John Fox has done. The Bears have been in every game they've been in this year. Now they, you know, they got you know blown out by the Seahawks, but that was up there. And at halftime, they were within six. He always seems to have a game plan, and and I would rather go with a team that's being solidly coached, getting three points. Uh, it just makes sense. A, a team that's being coached very solidly against a team that's a little shaky in the coaching department and in the quarterback department and the wide receiver department, uh, and you get three points from you, you get three points from a team who hasn't won this year. So we'll take the Bears plus the three. Okay. Um, I think Detroit makes a statement in this game, and uh, yeah, I, I think they I think they take this game pretty. Pretty handily, so I got no problem giving up the three. Nick, what do you think? Uh, I think, especially given the news that you brought up with Alshon Jeffrey back at practice, uh, if there's a chance he's going to play, I have to go with Chicago in this game. Detroit just—they're a complete mess. Josh, I think the message they're going to send is that uh, the Lions are going to send is that we're going to go zero and sixteen. Oh, it's not that Lions. It's not that Lions. <laughs> Um, and just just so you guys know, there's, I mean, Alshon Jeffrey practice, but it's it's been every single week. Oh, he's going to play, and then no, no, he's not playing. But at least he is practicing. Yeah, Jeffrey's got I, uh, one of those in, He's got one of those injuries where is, and I don't know if you guys listened to uh, to Stefania Bell on uh, the Fantasy Focus podcast, she says one of those things where they feel okay during practice as soon as they go on the field and start really putting pressure on it. That's when the real test is. So there's no way anybody knows. Um, you know, And it'll be a plus if all Sean is on the field. But it's uh, those soft tissue injuries, they'll just knock me out. And I hate when my players, in, in fantasy, I hate when my players get those. Okay. Uh, Tennessee at Miami. 
who cares about this game? The better. Wow. That's who cares. What do you got for us, Chuck? <laughs> I care. Titans are favored by two and a half points over the Finns. What was that you coined a couple weeks ago? Desperation over celebration. I know Tennessee's not really necessarily celebrating anything, but I think I think Miami's maybe grasping at a little desperation here. They've had the bye week. They have a new coach. I, I I'll take them with the points in this one. I don't love it, but I'll take it. What do you think, Nick? Yeah, I'm going to go with the Dolphins, too, simply because of the new coach factor. I think it's going to be an emotional game for the Dolphins players, trying to prove that they still have some pride. I think they come out fired up and win this game. Well, Josh, I got out my red pen because this is going to be a sweep. Look at what the Dolphins did in their bye week. They they did exactly what the players wanted. They wanted a new coach. They also, I think mostly they wanted the uh, the defensive coordinator gone, too. I think that's going to help Indomitian Sue quite a bit. And when that happens, when, when when the players get everything they want, they had better go out and perform the next week. Otherwise, it's going to be curtains for a lot of people. So uh, I think you'll see a great effort by the Dolphins this week. Nothing against the Titans. They're trying hard, and they're starting to look like a team. Uh, but I just think this is just one of those situations where the Dolphin players have to perform, and, and uh, we'll look for them to do that. Okay. Uh, Minnesota hosting KC minus uh, Jamal Charles. <laughs> I tried to pick up Sharkandrick West this week, but I was fifth on my waiver wire. I was fifth in line on the waiver wire, and no way I was going to get him. Uh, I got to ask you. Well, first of all, the Chiefs uh, are three and a half point. Excuse me, it's four points now. Four point underdogs against the uh, against the Vikings, but whatever happened to Niall Davis? He was like the sure thing if uh, if Jamal Charles if Jamal Charles ever went down, and all of a sudden there's this guy named Sharkandrick West. Uh, I don't know. They, you know, he and where he's had some good good moments there. You know, they, he does only he does average under three yards per rush on his career. I mean, he's only been in the league like two or three years, but uh, uh, yeah, apparently they think. Uh, is it Char Kendrick? Char Kendrick. Oh, you said yeah. it, but Char Kendrick. You said it so much better than me. Uh, I think they just think he's got a little more, a uh, little more wiggle, a little more giddy up in his step, and he's a little more of a dynamic player. Maybe, maybe Davis will see a goal line carry or two. But uh, yeah, I guess, I guess that's what we're doing there. But uh, uh, as far as the game goes, I think you know KC's got a nice run defense, and they're going to force. Bridgewater to put the ball up, which may seem like a bad thing, but I think I think you got to remember that I, you know, this is, could be Casey rallying around the team without Jamal Charles rallying around each other. But Minnesota's coming off a bye. You're going to see some adjustments made for this team. You're going to have you're going to maybe see some different uh, some wrinkles, different sets, and I think they're going to I think they're going to win this game by more than more than four points against a depleted Chiefs uh, offense. Nick, what do you think? Yeah, I think the Chiefs, they were 1-4 and four with Jamal Charles. Without him, they're not going to win a whole lot of games this year, I don't think. So i got to go with the Vikings in this one. You know, this game may work the other way. Um, the, the fact that uh, the other team cannot, uh, cannot scheme for Jamal Charles, uh, they've got to give a little more respect to the, to the passing game and not, not just stack the line 
against Jamal Charles. Getting back to Sharkandrick West, I think one of the things that I've heard about him is that he's more in the style of Jamal Charles and, more, and will more fill the gap or fill the hole that Jamal Charles will be leaving. But nonetheless, I am going to, you know, I think the Vikings will somehow find a way to win this, but I don't think they'll win it by more than a field goal. So I'm going to go with the with the Chiefs and probably, you know, a uh, Blair Rasmussen field goal at the gun wins it for the Vikings. I'll take the Chiefs plus three. Uh, it's Blair Walsh, by the way. But uh, Oh, Blair Rasmussen. Who is Blair Rasmussen? Where did that come from? I don't know. I don't know. Is he some hockey player or something? Uh, Blair Walsh, yeah. Sorry about like that. No, I'm okay. going to Google him I when just, this is over and see who that is. I, <laughs> I only bring that up because he's been terrible this year. But uh, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Maybe he feels well, better. Well, as long as it's short enough. Uh, yeah, as long as it's within 35 yards. Um, the Jets hosting Nick's Washington Redskins. So we'll obviously let Nick go first here. What do you got for a line, Chuck? Uh, Jets started out at five. They've been bet up to six. Yeah, um, I think the Jets can cover that spread. I, it's just I have zero faith in Kirk Cousins. He turns the ball over left and right, throwing game-winning touchdowns to the other team in overtime. I, I just I I can't pick the Redskins when when Kirk Cousins is playing. Maybe if it was Colt McCoy, I'd take the Skins, but yeah, you know, one of the stronger defenses. In the NFL, just had a bye week, and they just got one of their top players back. Um, it seems weird to give this this team that much of a much of a spread, but I, I feel like that they they win this game pretty handily. Um, and you know, with that strong strong defense, I'm not going to rule out the the uh, them scoring a defensive touchdown. So I'll, I'll I'll lay the six here. What do you think? And Nick, I didn't. Uh, I didn't get. I was looking at. I was googling Blair Rasmussen. Nick, did you take the Jets or the Redskins? <laughs> uh, I, I took the Jets. Okay, well we're going to sweep this one. I don't know why. I, I've had a lot of respect for the Redskins all year. I just feel like the. Uh, I just feel like this is the Jets game here. Uh, the Redskins gave it a heck of an effort last week, and they've been given a good efforts for several weeks. This is one of those weeks where they kind of take a breath and. Uh, and the Jets kind of get things rolling. So I'm going to take the Jets minus six points. And by the way, Blair Rasmussen is a retired American professional basketball player who was selected by the Nuggets in the first round of the 1985 NBA draft. So that's why I know who he is, because I was doing sports for a radio station in Denver uh, at that time in the 1980s. So that's, that's where that name came from. All right, I got that. got that mystery solved. Were you – was there play-by-play announcer, a guy named Jerry Schimmel? Do, Do remember? not remember that. Oh, okay. There's a uh, – he's currently the Rockies play-by-play announcer, but he's a, a South Dakota native that I've interviewed on the radio before. So, anyway. Oh, really? Anyway, no, I, I don't recall that name. Okay. All right. Enough about the Denver Nuggets. Um, Arizona – at Pittsburgh, what do you got for us here, Chuck? Wow, this is kind of weird. Arizona is minus three right now. The Cardinals have been—they've—they've uh, they've gotten a lot of respect around the league, haven't they? Yeah, it's that wide receiver core versus uh, not a very good Pittsburgh secondary, and I think they just lost 
Oh, Nick, who did they lose? Did they lose Will Allen on Monday night? They lost somebody for maybe a couple weeks. So they, I think they're depleted. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Arizona. I love a home team dog, but I'm going to take Arizona minus the three. Nick, what do you think? I'm with you on Arizona. Pittsburgh, they're just they're not the same offense uh, without Ben Roethlisberger as any Antonio Brown owner can tell you. So, uh, yeah, I just don't think they're going to be able to keep up with the kind of firepower that Arizona brings to the table. I think the Cardinals are just rolling right now. As much as I hate to take uh, a favor, I mean, think about this. You know, there's that whole stigma about, you know, playing in the Western time zone and then coming east and playing an early game, and that hasn't seemed to make much of a difference to the odds makers. The Cardinals are, are, are favored by three. Um, I mean, I can see why. Uh, I assume Roethlisberger, is, this isn't the week he's coming back. No, he's out. He's out eight solid. Pretty sure. He's okay. Solid. Okay. So the Cardinals, you know, it seems like a pretty fair line to me. But I'm going to go ahead and uh, also take the Cardinals. And you guys both took the Cardinals. Yeah. Sweep. That's an, that's another sweep for us. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. That <laughs> we all picked a road favorite as a sweep. But uh, yeah, isn't that scary? Maybe that's, yeah, maybe that's a. Uh, with good cause. Um, Houston at Jacksonville. Man, I don't care about this game either. Uh, what do you got for us, Chuck? Yeah, it's kind of ugly. I don't even want to pick it, but uh, we got to. So the, the Texans are favored by one point. Basically, it's a pick em game, but Texans by one. You're giving me points, or should I say point? <laughs> a point with Jacksonville at home. Uh, I'll take Jacksonville. I just think they have... They have uh, some good things going, and I know they lost last week, but I just think they have some good uh, some good things going right now offensively. And, and Houston just does not know their identity. I mean, when when is Bill Bryan going to be having coffee with with uh, Joe Philbin? I mean, seriously, they just I mean th- something's got to give there. They just this, there's too much talent on that team to play like they've been playing. So I'll go with Jacksonville. Nick, what do you think? Well, at least Houston finally went back to Brian Hoyer, quarterback, because Brian now just wasn't getting the job done. But Jacksonville, on the other hand, uh, Blake Bortles is playing really good football this year so far, so I'm, I've got to take Jacksonville. Okay. The thing, I'm most, dis- the thing I'm most disappointed about with the uh, with the Texans is uh, is how good their defense was supposed to be. I mean, where is that totally awesome mow-people-down defense? Uh, not seeing it. And the Jaguars have just this hometown mojo to where they feel like they can beat anybody and they almost can beat anybody at home. Uh, Julius Thomas is back. I don't know if that's going to make a difference or not, but he's on my fantasy roster, so I noticed that. Um, I, I, I just think the uh, there, there's just this uh, this unspoken thing, uh, that the, just this mojo that the Jaguars have at home, and now they see a team coming in here that they can beat. And, and and what was everybody afraid of with the Texans? They were afraid of J.J. Watt and the defense. Now that the defense is, is not that good, what's to be afraid of? We're going to take the Jaguars. Yeah, you just double-team Watt or move away from him or throw the ball away from him, that's for sure. Uh, sorry, back to Pittsburgh. How hard is it to just get Antonio Brown down the field, Michael Vick? Seriously, just do it. <laughs> You know, oh, I sorry, came into, I uh, in, in my fantasy, I came down to Monday night's game, and I was 10 points down. My opponent had 
Antonio Brown and I had Keenan Allen. So, of course, they're, they're throwing to nobody but Antonio Gates all, all night. So I ended up losing by like eight points. Uh, yeah. yeah, I had a lead in the league, and that was Antonio Brown versus Le'Veon Bell. I had like a 12-point lead going into Monday night. I ended hey. up losing by a couple points. Uh, Le- Le'Veon Bell is awesome. Yeah, he is. He's very, very good at football. Uh, Carolina at Seattle. Carolina's undefeated, right? But I feel like this spread's going to be like, huh? What do you think, Chuck? <laughs> that was one of the first points I was going to make, Josh. We got uh, the Panthers undefeated going in to, to play the Seahawks, who are, what, 2-3 and three now? That's kind of, that's as strange as Nebraska being 2-4, and four, isn't it? But uh, anyway, <laughs> the uh, the Seahawks have a 7-point uh, they're they're favored by seven. Wow! I saw six and a half, and I was jumping all over it. So I'll, I'll take uh, I'll take uh, Carolina plus seven. I just I, they like I said earlier, they've had many frustrations against Seattle uh, with Cam as a quarterback, and now they've had a bye week to prepare for it. I think they turned the corner here. Nick, what do you think? I think Seattle wins this game, but seven points, that's just way too much. Uh, their, their offense isn't good enough to be favored by over a touchdown or favored by a touchdown. So I'm going to take Carolina to at least cover the spread. Well, I'm looking at the schedules here. Uh, you know, normally, you guys know me, I would jump all over the underdog going up to Seattle and getting seven points, especially uh, a team like the Panthers. But I just. Uh, I have a little bit of a feeling that the Seahawks are in a bad mood after last week, after losing that game. They're going to uh, reevaluate everything. I don't think the Panthers are going to score. Look at the, look at who the, the Panthers are, are 4-0, but they beat the Jaguars, the Texans, the Saints, and the Buccaneers. Uh, if they go up and beat Seattle, I'll give them a little respect, but I, I'm looking for Seattle to, uh, to kind of uh, make a statement, and if they don't, then you can kind of forget about them. But this is the week that they have to do something. And uh, I'm going to take the Seahawks. Um, and, and this is, this is, goes against everything in my book, but I'm going to give up seven points with the Seahawks. And Chuck hates Seattle people, so that's not saying. Something. Don't hate them. I just felt I just felt like they were always a little <laughs> bit overrated, and now I, I I think this is the time for them to uh, them to do something. It's you know it's yeah it's hard for me to do there. Okay, uh, don't look now, but Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay looked somewhat mortal at home last week. Now they get. Uh, the Chargers, who let themselves down on Monday night, you got a, you got a double-digit number for us here, Chuck? Yes, we do. Ten points. Started out at ten. It's still ten. Oh, I love it. I And I hate picking the San Diego games, but i I got to take that. Come on. Phillip Rivers, double-digit underdog? No way. I'll take I'll take it. What do you, what, I'll take San Diego. What do you think, Nick? Oh, I agree. It's a ten point. But I know Green Bay's got a great offense and they're playing at home. But Philip Rivers and the Chargers, especially now with Antonio Gates back, they got a pretty decent offense too. So I think ten points is just way too much. So I'll go with the Chargers. When I look at, I, I get a lot of clues from looking at, uh, at at fantasy stats when I go to pick these games. Uh, the Packers' defense is uh, fourth in the league against quarterbacks, third against wide receivers, eleventh against running backs. Um, now, the, they're one, I mean, if you want to call it an Achilles heel, they're 14th 
against uh, tight ends, but that's the worst. That's their worst rating of all. So you know, maybe we can look for a big game, another big game out of Antonio Gates. Um, I think it's time for the Packers to uh, to show a little muscle here, and I am going to uh, go ahead and uh, t- t- take the Packers. I'm going to take the Packers. But I, I, I just think that San Diego is just down in the dumps after that last game. Uh, and, you know, for no other reason, I'm going to take the Packers in this game. Oh, by no means will I be surprised if uh, if the Packers win this by, you know, seven touchdowns or whatever. But Well, maybe not seven, but uh, I, uh, I, just, I just don't think too big of a number. Uh, Baltimore well, just, just to show Tampa. you how it – Josh, just to show you how unsure I am on that one, I had the when I looked at them last night, I had picked the Chargers, and I just switched to the Packers today. So you know, don't don't. Uh, this is a toss-up. Sorry, I interrupted. Go ahead. No, it's okay. Uh, San Francisco home team dog versus the Baltimore Ravens. What do you got for us? Ravens are favored by. They start out at two and a half. They're still two and a half. Ravens favored. Excuse me. Um, two and a half. Sam Fran in for a letdown after showing some gusto last week, but Baltimore gave up a huge lead to Cleveland. The NFL does not make sense, and therefore I'll take the home team dog. Two and a half, San Francisco. Nick, what do you think? Uh, I think uh, Baltimore's head coach, John Harbaugh, might uh, call his brother Jim, get some scouting reports on San Francisco, find out some of their weaknesses, and I think Baltimore wins this game easily. Uh Uh-huh. I'm going, you know, we talked earlier about the 49ers, about they're just not consistent. You just don't know what to pick. So, Nick, uh, you're in luck because I'm going to take the 49ers this week. <laughs> and it's only because I don't. I think the Ravens are still a little bit overrated. I, I think everybody thinks they're the same team they were last year in the last couple of years, and they are not. Uh, their defense is not that good. I think the 49ers will find a way to take advantage of it. And um, I think, the, you know, in my opinion, the 49ers will win the game. Okay. Um, New England, is it is it hard to – sorry, is it hard to it's, – it's really easy to forget that these Baltimore and San Francisco play each other in the Super Bowl just, you know, within recent memory. And, uh, yeah. Oh, sorry. New England. That's a good point. At Indianapolis. Yeah. New England at Indianapolis. What do you got for us, Chuck? Oddly enough, the Patriots have gone from eight and a half down to seven and a half. I don't know if they had an injury or anything to to report, but uh, uh, yeah, seven and a half point favorites are the New England Patriots. Well, we know Belichick is the uh, strength exterminator. Um, And. Sounds like Luck's going to be back. He's still questionable at this point. But let's not forget, this is the team that caused the whole deflate gate. I don't like to talk about that very often on the podcast, but this is the team that caused it. Um, you never want to make Belichick mad. You never want to give him any extra motivation against your team. So, come on. Why are the one of you guys be surprised if this is a 20-point win, 14-point win by New England? I'll take New England. What do you think, Nick? Uh, yeah, I'm with you. i got to go with New England. Even if Andrew Luck plays, he, I think, had the worst quarterback rating of any starting quarterback this year. That's 
this is shocking to say the least, but I, I definitely have to go with the Patriots. Okay, let's start with the fact that the uh, the Patriots, uh, excuse me, the Colts are 29th in the league against wide receivers. So you know, I'm counting on a big game for my quarterback Tom Brady in this game. Uh, second of all, the Patriots are are on a mission this year. By the way, the line did start out at six and a half on this game, went all the way up to eight and a half, and now it's back down to seven and a half. And that's probably about where it'll settle. I don't know if you'll get any sevens on that if you're if you're looking to bet the Patriots without the hook on it. Um, the uh, the Patriots are on a mission, and 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 it's a it's a unique situation to where if Coach Bill Belichick gets up on somebody, he's not going to let down. He's going to keep trying to score because they're trying to make a statement to the NFL. They're 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 angry and this uh, you know it's the the heck with you tour is uh, is what it is in in uh, in a little milder language for the Patriots. And also, of course, it was the uh, it was the Colts that the, the, who were the ones that told on the Patriots last year. So the Patriots have a little bit of extra incentive in this game. I have a friend from Boston. Uh, who works with me out here, and he has reminded me of this at least twice a week ever since the season started. Chuck, boy, I want to be in the front row for that Patriots and Colts game. So, you know, I'm I'm looking for a little extra juice on the Patriots side, and uh, I don't think that, you know, on the other hand, the Colts are not that good this year either. So uh, everything points to a big Patriots win, and if not, it'll be very surprising, and, and it'll be a good job by the Colts. And this was also supposed to be the first game back for Tom Brady until that suspension was reduced. So yeah, I don't exactly. know if that has to do anything. I just thought about that. <laughs> um, yeah. Funny how that works out. Uh, so, last game. Oh, by the way, we swept East. that. We did sweep that, yes. Uh, of course, it's ASCE, so it has to be a primetime matchup. Uh, Monday night, Philadelphia hosting the New York football Giants. What do you got for us, Chuck? The Eagles are now four-and-a-half-point favorites. Uh, it was uh, four when my sheet came out, and uh, four-and-a-half now. Why? I just, Let me check that for you. Oh, uh, it, it opened up at three-and-a-half. It uh, went up to four-and-a-half, and that's where it is. Do I need to remind everybody again, yes, the Eagles won, but they played the Saints at home? I mean, come on. I mean, I know... San Francisco showed some gusto against the Giants, but that's too many points. I, I have no idea who's going to win this game, but this is a field goal game. This is a division game. It's going to come down to the wire. Nobody's winning this by four and a half points. So I'm going to take the Giants with the points. feel pretty good about it. In fact, I'm going to make it my clean sweep since this is the last game of the week. <laughs> or my clean sweep, my lock of the week. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> okay. Nick? Um, you know what? I'm going to go the other way on this. I think I'm going to take the Eagles. Uh, I, I worry if Odell Beckham's going to be in decoy mode after getting uh, dinged up a little bit last week. And plus that whole NFC East, that just seems like four teams that are going to hover right around eight and eight. Well, three teams anyway. I don't know if Washington can keep up. But, uh, yeah, it just seems like everything's going to balance itself out. So I think the Giants go, fall to 500, the Eagles win and get to 500. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Nick. I think the Giants have been playing a little bit too well. Uh, Eagles, uh, you know, finally, you know, with, you can say it was the Rob Ryan defense or whatever, but uh, the uh, the Eagles finally got on track last week. Um, 
I've got the Eagles circled here, and it's only because I think that they that they're a streaky team. So I'm going to look at last week's win as being the start of a of a streak, and I will go ahead and take the Eagles to win. And I got to swallow real hard here because uh, four and a half is a tough. It's just a weird, weird number. But uh, we'll look for the Eagles to win by six or seven, and uh, not would not be surprised if the Giants win it outright because that's another team that whenever I bet against them, they win. So could be good news for you, Josh. I'll take the Eagles. Okay, so just to review, we got clean sweeps on Miami plus two and a half, Giants minus, excuse me, Jets minus six, uh, Arizona minus three on the road at Pittsburgh, and then New England minus seven and a half, is that right? Yes. Minus seven and a half at Indianapolis. Big emotional contest there, certainly. And there's there's one more, Josh. I don't know if you mentioned the Jaguars. Oh, we all took the Jags, too. Okay. Yes. All right. Five, five games. There you go. There's a five-team parlay right there. There we go. Get your 20s out. Um, <laughs> uh, well, that is all we have for you today. This has been the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. Obviously, big thanks to Chuck for helping us along the way as we do our ATS picks. Uh, big thanks to the IDP doctor himself, Sean Kirby, for stopping by. Uh, Nick, always a pleasure to be doing this with you. Uh, hopefully, we helped you out. Remember, if you missed it or anything earlier, we got a little heavy into rookies this week, so kind of a midseason rookie report. Mid-season awards will be coming up in a couple weeks, I'm sure. Uh, make sure you check out Jay Liston next week. And, of course, Chuck will be back. You know he's coming back. So uh, thank you very much, uh, and have a good day, guys. Chuck, take care. Nick? Bye, Nick. Bye, bye, Josh. And, Nick, any closing thoughts there? Uh, no, just good luck to everybody in week six. Okay. I might even get a win in DFW 16. One in five, here I come. This has been the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we always appreciate the listen. We always appreciate the, the retweets, the shares. Uh, you can rate us. We're on iTunes if you want to give us uh, a rating that help people find us in the future if they're looking for our style of podcast. So this has been the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. Uh, go to DFW right now and vote on that dilemma. Thank you, and have a great day. Podcast with Jakey, Gil, 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 G